Hello again. Welcome back to the pod. It's me, Jocelyn. We're doing it. I can't keep that <laughs> time. I don't know how to do music, but my name's Nisa. Welcome back to I'm Minored in Art History. That's offbeat. Oh, it is? Yeah. I'm offbeat, not you. Oh. I can't keep a beat to save my life. I don't, yeah. I don't That's know why, why I... we tried to do that, because we are not music people. Because it's fun. It's funky. It's fresh. It's different. You guys weren't expecting it, were you? <laughs> Keep them on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, were you surprised? Never let them know what's coming. Never, ever. All right. Well, this is I Minored in Art History. <laughs> this is I Minored in Art History. My name is Jocelyn, and I Minored in Art History. My name is Nisa, and I didn't do that. Woo! See, that was good. That was good. Like, we have a little funky thing on the computer. Oh, I broke it. Ooh. Ooh. I wonder what that's going to sound like. We're breaking it, boy. Boy. He's going to make our voice do weird shit. <laughs> We're over here dancing on Nisa's little couch thing in her den area. We moved it. We moved the podcasting session to the den. Much more cozy. Way more cozier. And I have alcohol in here. She got them Alks. Yes, I do. I really need to get, like, you know, like some nice whiskey or bourbon or something and yeah. put it in that distill. Some whiskey or some bourbon distiller. Yeah. Like, whatever that thing is. Decanter. Decanter, yes. Is that what it is? I believe so. Yeah. It looks pretty. I like it. It does look pretty. It's I need to have some amber liquid yeah. in it. It's kind of already, like, amberish in color. Like a brownish kind of amberish, kind of goldish. It's rose glass. Oh, my yeah. mistake. It's fancy. And it's rose gold, like, filigree on the outside. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so from over here, I was wrong. It's just because it's got dark green behind it. Yeah, it's in a weird spot to be able to see that. But that's my that's my little cool. That's why it's shiny, baby. Baby? I do have brandy, but like I don't know if you put brandy in that. I don't know anything about alcohol. Also, if you guys know anything about alcohol, please do not let us know. <laughs> why? Is it banned on Instagram or something? I'm no. not aware of. <laughs> oh, okay. No. I was like, is this some big issue? Like they don't be like see nipples on Instagram. You can put brandy in that if you want oh yeah that you think they're just gonna be mean about yeah. it yes. yes classic i recently made the mistake of looking at our podcast on uh apple podcasts and someone had given us a four-star review saying that we needed to seriously cut down the banter <laughs> what what was their name i, I they gonna become the name beanly some fucking fake name oh <gasps> no what a dick i bet he's still is there I, I, I assume it was a man. Okay, well, we yeah. I just assume. We assume. I got yeah. very upset about it. Mike was like, who cares? And I was like, I care. Me. And we he was care. like, well, sick Nisa on him. And I was like, true. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Mike knows it's the go-to resort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I handle all of our haters. Yeah. Honestly, I crave it. So, like, if you have a comment, don't even put it on anything. Yeah. Just fucking DM me. Just and I will DM. see it because I see everything. Just and I DM will... Nisa. Do not write a review no. unless you're giving us five stars. No. Thank Troll you me much. directly. I implore you. <laughs> you trust me, it's going to be a riot. You're yeah. going to have a great time. I'll answer any of your questions if you have burning questions. If you have a burning crutch, we can't answer that one. Listen, okay, we don't give a fuck about anything we're doing on this podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, that's why I was like, why am I getting upset about this? Yeah. So at the end of the day, are we getting paid for this? No, and no one's paying to listen to it either. Nope. Which is why I'm like, if you don't want to listen to it, 
please cease listening. That's why we're ad-free, fuckers. Yeah. Ad-free because nobody would ever pay to put their... <laughs> pay us for an advertisement. The day that we start getting paid ads, you can come back and you can say some shit to me about yeah, that. Like true. you could, you could genuinely get in my face about it. Right. Yeah. But like, I mean, for now, for in now. this current moment, we've been doing this for like almost two years now. Has it been that long? Fuck me. Yeah, we started in 2020. She. We started September 2020. I remember. I think we didn't release it until November, though. Yeah, we we waited a few months because we yeah. figured out how to edit it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we started recording. We conceptualized the pod in September. That's true. We recorded oh, yeah. in October and yeah, then yeah, released yeah. in November. Right. Fuck. I forgot I've been broken up with James for two years. Dude, this is the <laughs> journey of your recovery from that Honestly, fucking terrible fucking relationship. Yeah. Bad times. Yeah? Much better now. And I've had, like, a few dalliances in between there, and I think. So anyways, you guys, welcome back to it. We've got some... Hot teas and informations is for yous, I think. We'll put the hot teas at the end. Well, we could cut down our banter, Jocelyn. Like, we try so hard, you guys. My god. I know some of you, that's the only reason you listen to this. You don't actually care about art. You just want to hear us talk shit. I actually, listening back on our episodes, as I do, because I'm a narcissist, I'm like, who are these two funny ladies? I know, right? Who are these two delectable humans? Any, I want to be friends with them. Anytime I was editing, I'd be like, oh, they're so funny. They're so funny and charming. I'm like, oh my god. I'd be fr- I'd sit in a couch with them in a den. Sometimes when I actually listen to episodes, I'll be like, oh my god, I said that? That's so fucking hilarious. <laughs> See? Yes! <laughs> I listened to the episode four by accident. Like, it came on in the car. Yeah. And I was with somebody, and I was like, oh, I can't let them know that this is my podcast, because that's fucking weird if it turns, that they're going to be like, is this you? Like, for whatever reason, that episode doesn't sound like me. Like, my voice is a little bit, like, different. So they didn't catch on, and I was just, like, driving the car, and I was like, this is actually a fucking hilarious episode. Like, laughing at myself with the passenger in the car with no fucking clue. Amazing. I do like episode four. It's a good one. It is a good one. That was the Cats Adams one. Yeah. It was Rio DiGiorno. (laughs) Rio DiGiorno. Oh my god. (laughs) It's not delivery, it's Rio DiGiorno. Help. That was pronouncing things and... (laughs) Mispronouncing things. Mispronouncing things. (laughs) Elite. Yep. That's all I'm gonna say. That's me. I'm Elite. Should we kick it off? Yeah, let's do that. Now that we've sufficiently blathered... (laughs) Fuck you. Just a little Apple blathering. commenter. Yeah. Fuck you, guy. That might have been from when I put it on Reddit. Because uh-huh. I, like, promoted it on Reddit a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I don't ever promote this podcast. I've mentioned that I have a podcast at work, and that's about that as far as A guy I was just texting, he wants to do a FaceTime date. So yeah. I was like, sure. And then I was like... Just oh, this is actually kind of cute. All right. I was going to say some shit because he was just like, sorry, I just got a yoga and I was going to make fun of him a little bit. But we were just doing a FaceTime date and he goes, I was thinking maybe I send you some DoorDash credit for dinner. Okay, bitch. Go off for a FaceTime date. Okay, bitch. Yeah. Because I told him I didn't want to drive to Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck driving to Tampa. I was like, it's a bridge and there's shark infested waters below. Yeah. Also, we could get a fucking, um, we had a tornado warning the other night. 
We yeah. can have water spouts. It's hurricane season. I could get blown off the bridge. Yeah. Oh, like, forget about it. I'm not doing that. No way. Not for a man. Not for a fucking man. Not for no man. Wouldn't. I mean, he is a, like, paint his nails kind of man, so, like, I um, would. I, I would okay. go there for, go that, for that kind of man. But, like, you know, <laughs> he's still a man. <laughs> Ugh. I actually... <laughs> <laughs> so so is my boyfriend. I know we've met your boyfriend Jocelyn. Uh, Jesus, everyone here has met him. Oh, I, gosh, I referred to my boyfriend the other day as a U-Haul lesbian. He really is though. <laughs> he's like he's like one step above a super lesbian. He's like a lesbian who would drive like a four door truck. <laughs> All right, what do you got for me? Um, Juicy deeds. Juicy motherfucking deeds. I was trying to see who went first last time. I think it was you. So I guess I'll go first this time. I think it was me. I think it was you because you went after Mike with his long-winded thing that was interesting. Yeah. Whole episode dedicated to Mike. Yeah. One episode for Mike. Well, this guy is really cute right now. It's like pinky and bluey. Can you see it from there? Yeah. Yeah. I love the view I get out of that window. Yeah, it's so cute. In the backyard, it's really just like vibes. Also, yeah. I was going to say, it is hilarious the first time we invited a fucking man on. We have yeah. done three people episodes every single time. And the first time we invite a dude on, he oh, takes yeah. an entire fucking yeah. episode. I know. That's the straight man for you. <sighs> we were thinking he was a lesbian, but nope, got us again. I mean, okay, he he's like the queerest straight man sometimes. I don't know how else to describe that. Yeah. Because he just like... He just is. Like, he's very a straight man sometime. And another time, he's very a lesbian. He's very aware, it seems like, what goes on with a woman's experience. But at the end of the day, he has lived his entire life as a cis white male. So, like... Correct. Has these things. Like, taking an entire episode of podcast. Still on that shit, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just kidding. I love you. Just teasing. Just kidding, Just honey. Teasing, dude. Just kidding. So I was gonna talk today about Alex Katz, who is also <gasps> more cats. <laughs> Wait, what? His last name was Katz with a K and a Z. Wow, that's actually ironic that I mentioned the episode for that. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> Bring it back around, Katz. Um, but he is a New York Jew. Mike is also a New York Jew. A New York Jew. A New York Jew. Oh, boy. As you know. I am not a New York Jew, but I do a great New York Jew impression. You really do. Thank you. I slip into it at work He's sometimes. A rat. He's a big rat. <laughs> the last time I, I was, like, shelving stuff, and Ron was like, did you just do a New York Jew accent? <laughs> and I was like, Very yeah. Very specific that he called that out. <laughs> well, Ron used to live in New York, so... Oh. <laughs> But sometimes I'll say stuff to Mike, and he's like, God, you sound like my mother. Oh. <laughs> That's not the most endearing thing to hear from a significant other. But, like, go off, I guess. Uh, all right, so Alex Katz. He looks like this. He looks like a New York Jew. He does. Who is he? What did he do? What did he do? I want to know. He's old. Old as balls. He's old as balls. He's 95. Lots of balls. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of fucking balls. Yeah. Sorry. He's 95. He's a Leo. He was born in Brooklyn, New York. He's a Leo. <laughs> July 24th, 1927. 
Oh, wow. So he's still alive. He just had his birthday recently. In July. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he's beating the queen. I know, right? Fuck the queen. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Jesus. I'll say it again. Honestly, fuck the monarchy. Mm-hmm. You're going to love my story, then. <laughs> but continue. His parents were Russian emigres who lived for art and poetry. His mama was even a star in a Yiddish theater on the Lower East Side. Wow. Yeah. They have Yiddish theater? That's like a thing? Yeah. Okay. Apparently. All right. Her stage name was Ella Marion. He knew six different languages. I'm assuming that he still knows at least a little bit of all of them. Uh, according to a New Yorker piece. Depends on if he's got faculties. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. His mom knew six different languages. Sorry, my notes have a weird space in them. <laughs> oh, okay. That is different. That's a, <laughs> he doesn't know shit. Sorry, Alex. I mis- <laughs> misread my notes here. Don't give him any credit. I'm so sorry. Six languages. <laughs> His mother. His mother. She was a six different language kind of gal. And uh, she decided that he should be reciting Edgar Allan Poe by the time he was four. So he was. She decided that he should be, <laughs> and so he did. So she taught him yes. Edgar Allan Poe. She did. As, as a toddler. As a toddler. I mean, I guess there's worse things to be reciting. It's just a little weird for I feel a kid. like that's kind of dark. Yeah, it's not really like Nicole the Raven. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but he also, he made all kinds of shit. You know, he made paintings, he made drawings, he made collages, lithographs, etchings, screen prints, woodcuts, linocuts, portraits that were cut out, portraits that were on wood, portraits that were on metal. So many things. He has so many different so portraits. Many he also made sets and costumes for Paul Taylor, who was a choreographer in the early 60s. Oh my goodness. Paul Taylor? Yeah. I don't you know don't who say. that is. <laughs> I have no idea either. I don't know. If I you guys pretended. are theater kids and you know that one, good for you. In high school, he had academic classes in the morning and art classes in the afternoon, which sounds fucking bomb. And uh, also, according to that New Yorker article, he studied industrial design and learned classical drawing techniques by copying antique plaster casts. That's that's actually pretty common. I did not know that. Yeah, they have like plaster casts set up and like they put the lighting on them and then you sketch them. That's crazy to me. Yeah, there's like, I have a shit ton of books. She's right got here. heck of books. It's got literally that. She does have heck it. of books, by the way. I have heck of drawing books, yes. Heck of drawing books, dog. That's what I got from the art schools. I got mm-hmm. books out of it. Drawing books. These books are 10 years old now. Do you mm, know that? Fuck yeah. That's what's fucking crazy. <laughs> Let me get a drink here. <laughs> Gulp. I'm drinking green tea out of a Sam Adams glass, so it looks like it's light-colored beer. <laughs> it looks like Sam Adams, but if not... It looks like piss in the cup. <laughs> you explain why it has no bubbles. Yeah, it's true. Sam Adams. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Fucking rectum. I don't know anything about beer. I don't either. <laughs> don't ever tell me anything about beer either. I don't want to know. Wait. You're like, no! Fuck you! <laughs> I didn't just hear that. Hops. Where was I? Oh, uh, and apparently he used to want to be a commercial artist. Then he changed his mind. Okay. He was like, I'm too cool. Right. (laughs) Uh, When he was 18, so in 1945, so this is like World War II times, he joined the Navy to avoid being drafted, and then he was released from service a year later. Good for him. Got out of the worst of it, yeah. Yeah. So then, after he got out, he started at the Cooper Union Art School in Manhattan. 
where he studied painting under Morris Cantor, whose art I would call cubist and, like, real flat. Um, apparently, Alex Katz was not super jazzed on it either, so I have a couple of uh, little items here of Cantor's art. Oh, yes. Nisa's yeah. also not thrilled by it. I hate that shit. Yeah, you I know, know I do. I, do, I know. Picasso-esque bullshit. <laughs> I know. Shove it. Yeah. The world of art. The yeah. great vagina of art. <laughs> Shove it. <laughs> Shove that shit. Get rid of it. So and then I have a little quote here that says, He developed a personal style that he described as very fashionable at Cooper, with borrowings from Paul Klee, Pierre Bonnard, and especially Henri Matisse. But then he started painting outdoors and just ditched all that. He seems to be like just like okay, I did it, but like not my vibe, and then like, yeah, drops it completely. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's part of why I like him. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, fuck that. He's very much like he'll tell you what he thinks, mm-hmm. and that's just it. Like, this is just not me. Yeah. I don't know who me is yet. This is not this. Yeah. After he graduated in 1949, he attended the Skohagen, I think. That's how you pronounce that? Skohagen, whatever. School for Painting and Sculpture in Maine. Oddly, at Cooper Union, he was taught to paint from drawings. I think that's odd. Like, why would you paint from a drawing? That doesn't make... Like a master copy? I don't know. I don't know. It didn't say. It just said he was taught to paint from drawings. (laughs) On, like, a couple different sources that I looked at. That's kind of a weird way to phrase that. Yeah, I know. They're getting that from some book and they're just, like, copying it. Probably. I, Uh... I bet you it's master copies, which is totally... Like on brand from classical. Art. Yeah, which makes more sense. Right. Anyways, uh, it's Gohagen. However, he was taught to paint from life, which drastically changed his perspective. So, you know, from a 2D to a 3D. Yeah, it tends to change your perspective. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It really does. Mm-hmm. Painting live. So, when he was at Skohagen, he and his then girlfriend from his time at Cooper Union, Jean Cohen, went out in trucks every morning to paint the main landscape with other students. He apparently discovered main light during this time, which further influenced his desire to use richer, darker colors and move away from impressionism and more towards figurative imagery. Because he was doing more impressionist sort of stuff when he was at Cooper Union, which he went to on, like, a full scholarship. That was the only reason he could go there. <laughs> yeah. Because he was like, I'm fucking broke. Take me, I'm a bath. He was like, scholarship is for me. <laughs> me get it. He, he got it, though. He, he must have been talented. He is, actually. He has a very strong, like, kind of personality. Are you talking about his actual personality yeah. or a personality in his works? Both. Oh, so he has a good voice. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That's what I meant. You grabbed what I was trying winky, to... Winky, winky. Yeah. I'm winking at Jocelyn right now. She did. She actually winked. Wink. And then it kind of turned into a blink. Yeah, I'm not good at winking. <laughs> She's not good at winking with that eye anyway. She could have just played that off, but instead Jocelyn chose to out my bad winking. <laughs> In your minds, the minds of the listener, I was an excellent winker. <laughs> wink, wink. And now I'm just... Wink, wonk. I'm a wonker. <laughs> <laughs> Katz struggled financially and artistically for some years before he really found his niche. So he experimented with small paintings of New York street scenes, main landscapes, still lifes and figure paintings adapted from amateur family photographs. Then decided he wanted to paint in a more open style like Jackson Pollock because he didn't want any fixed outlines or contained forms, but he didn't quite know how to do it. So he actually, like, made... (laughs) Probably, he says a thousand paintings. It may or may not be quite that many. 
Uh, <laughs> but he just like tore them up, threw them in the fireplace because they were like not good enough. He was like, "Fuck this! This is bad. Get rid of it." What an angsty fucking boy. <laughs> I mean, I would be too, though. Like, he had like ten years where he was just like, "God, I'm fucking broke." <laughs> Yeah, like, like, ten years of, like, no real, yeah. like, traction. Yeah. Okay. So then in the mid-50s, he switched to small cut paper collages that were influenced by Matisse's late work. And for, like, about three months in 57, I got a quote here from the uh, Mary Ryan Gallery article on him, that he kept making paintings, and they were good, but they were boring, he said. It was the only time in my life when a thing like that happened. <laughs> wow. Someone's got a high opinion. He does. But, like, that's part the of why... The only time in his life where he's ever been boring. <laughs> that's part of why he became successful, though, is because he was like, yeah, fuck you, I'm great. Like, he always just was like, I'm the fucking best. Yeah, kind of. He, like, lost it a little bit during the pop art era, which I kind of talk about in here a little bit later in my notes. He was very much concerned with, like, being on what he called the edge of the bubble. Mm-hmm. What's up and coming, what's new, what's funky, what's fresh. And he was doing what's funky and what was fresh before anybody else. Oh. He's a trendsetter dog. What a trendsetter. He sounds like a trendsetter. So after that, he decided that he was going to focus on what he called specific portraits, which were recognizable images of real people. And then around that time, he met Ada Del Moro at the opening of his two-person show at the Tanager Gallery on 10th. Ada Del Moro. Ada Del Moro. She has one of those fancy names like his mom did. (laughs) Yeah. Except hers isn't a stage name. Oh. (laughs) The next day, he invited her to a Billie Holiday concert, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. That's literally how I wrote that note. (laughs) Invited her to a Billie Holiday. Yeah. Who knew? So, anyways, they ended up, like, getting married and shit. So now she's Ada Katz. Um, But (laughs) he painted her over 200 times. Oh, this is, like, muse territory. Uh, Yeah. And she's the subject of numerous drawings and paintings. Or prints, rather. So we've got paintings, drawings, and prints. All of one woman. And apparently, <laughs> like, the first time she sat for him, she was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? But then she was like, actually, this is kind of alright. I can get down with this. Like, it's, it's kind of like an intimate thing, though. Oh, yeah, posing for someone, yeah. like, nude. like in a... Not even nude. Like, she was clothed. Oh, okay. For most of the stuff that he's done, she's wearing clothes. Like Okay. I bet she did pose new. I'm sure she did, yeah. But I think, like, the the first time was, like, with clothes on. But it's kind of like, you know, like, somebody's really looking at you very intently. Right. And it's just like, I feel naked, even though I'm not. Right. (laughs) Um, Just say I don't really like his paintings. That's okay. You don't have to. I like them. Okay. (laughs) I like the flatness of them, actually. That's what I was saying. Maybe that's from him doing paintings from drawings. Yeah. I think you might We're be really right. starting to see the influence. Yeah. It's just getting more 2D. Yeah, exactly. So, like, he kind of, like, his, the, the way that he described it is, like, compressing an image rather than, like, 
you know, with stuff there's like you can take away like it's inclusive, like you only include the things that you want, whatever. Yeah. So he was more like, I'm just compressing it. He's just squishing it all together. I love how people come up with a million different ways to say the same <laughs> fucking thing. He chose not to shade things. Yeah. He chose not to do great detail. And he didn't really give a shit about his forms. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of the shapes that I want. And, like, just color them in. It's kind of like, it's more gestural. <laughs> Sorry. I like it. I bet you fucking do, Jocelyn. I do. I'm horny for it. Oh my god. <laughs> Just kidding. It's horny for you. <laughs> you can see that painting looking at you through your phone. God. It's real chemistry in the room. Oh. <laughs> so in 1959, Katz took his paintings to a larger scale using bold colors and flat and simplified images, which Nisa hates, in a style reminiscent of de Kooning with the added influence of inspiration from billboards and Japanese woodblock prints. They always say that when they simplify shit, they're like, it's Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, in this article that I was reading, uh, it, like, specifically mentioned, like, an actual Japanese artist. I just didn't put it in because I was like, they did woodblock prints. Okay, got it. (laughs) Gotcha. I don't believe it! (laughs) God. Sorry. It's false. You sold a falsehood. Oh, man. So one of these big canvases that he did from this period uh, was like six and a half feet high by nine and a half feet wide. So he's a big boy. Whoa. Like, you cover your wall with that mess. I could. Interestingly, at another Tanager Gallery show in 1959, our boy de Kunick actually showed up. And he was like, hey, yo, I like your work, dog. But he didn't say it like that. Because it was 1959. So, like, this Japanese artist? No, no, no. William de Kooning. Oh, de Kooning. Okay. Yeah. No, sorry. The Japanese artist is long dead. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no. Contemporary Japanese artist? Like, that's what he's into? Like, that's a far cry from what he was doing. Uh, no. I'm not quite. No, it was de Kooning. De um, after the opening, he went out for Dindin with Robert Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns, which if you guys listened to that episode with Jasper Johns, we talked about them a little bit. So he's hanging with the, like, the OG crew. He Like, was? this is that, like, Rochester, New York crew. Yeah. He, like, hung out with them a couple times, and he was just like, mm, I don't really vibe with that art style right now. Like, I'm better than that. And then it was wow. like, yeah, he was a little, little cocky there. Yeah, I mean, like, they hung out a couple times. Like, Rauschenberg posed for a portrait. Okay. So, like, I mean, that's cool. So, I um, we thought that was kind of neat that they all, like, hung out. It's like, oh, context. Wow. It is neat that they hung out. It gives me more of a better idea of, like, who was alive? When were they alive? Oh, they did that. Okay. Kind of like that one episode that you did, giving us more context on everything ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the history of art. <laughs> yeah arguably the topic of this podcast yeah yeah you know the thing we're doing <laughs> yes remember that thing yeah. that we did yeah this was what it was right for now exactly yeah <laughs> so moving forward cats created portraits with the intent of capturing what he called quick things passing quick things passing yes this man just gets more and more deep the poetry <laughs> I like him, honestly. He's kind of spitfire, you know? Is that what you take that as? Yeah. He's a pompous dick. <laughs> who didn't really, like, up until a certain point, like, deserve it. 
No, he's really fucking funny, though, to me. I don't know. All right, well, you can have him. I just, I don't I think he's funny. Like, the way that he says things in these articles, I'm just like, what? Oh, he's just coming up with, like, names and shit. You're yeah, like, yeah, okay. Of, yeah. That is what that is, so. Basically. Like... I fucking love it. It cracks me up. Because it's like how I always smash words together to make new words. So he's your type of neurodivergent. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Glad we figured that out. <laughs> so the quick things passing uh, was kind of like ignoring character in the mood of like what was happening in the scene and instead focusing on illustrating the outward appearance of the subjects using minimal background details and giving smooth, near generic features to what he depicted. So everybody looks kind of the same. But it's just like, oh, this is a moment in time. Another fun thing that he likes to do, because he's a real kooky man. <laughs> so kooky. He's so kooky. Uh, he likes to use obsolete techniques in new ways. So one of his Can't obsolete techniques. Oh my god! One of his obsolete techniques is the Renaissance technique of pinning a full-sized brown paper cartoon to the canvas, and then forcing dry pigment through pinholes to establish the outlines. So basically, he'd like sketch it out first, and then like, boop, 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 and then put pigment through it, just Why? for funsies. What does that look like? It looks like shit. Oh, okay. It's gonna be like, <laughs> sounds like a really shitty stencil. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> 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 But I guess he still yeah, yeah, does yeah, that yeah. with large paintings. So, you know, go off. Go off, son. <laughs> go off, cat. <laughs> go off, Alex. Um, oh. So then when pop art popped off, mm-hmm. he found himself to be out of the game-changing shows with artists like Roy Lichtenstein or Frank Stella. Yeah, because that artist actually evolved <laughs> and was using new technology. <laughs> Fucking... Wow. He didn't really care for Oh, and he wonders why he was left behind? <laughs> but he was also, like, hanging out with the New York School of Poets around them. So, like, he was hanging with Frank O'Hara and John Ashbery. And, you know, when you hang out with poets... Yeah. It's like, that's it's... not helping his art shit. <laughs> well, okay, if Frank O'Hara had not died in a fiery crash, he would have been in more galleries because the homie had connections. But he died in a fiery crash. So. Stemming from the New York School of Poets... Then I was like, oh, I did like a draw. I did like a little sketch of an Alex Katz painting in college. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to see if I could find a picture of it like on my DeviantArt or something, and I f- could not. But so it's this portrait of Ted Berrigan. And I'm showing Nisa right now. <laughs> she hates it. This looks like, okay, this looks like a senior high school student who had like CS5. And was, like, trying to figure out how to use it. And was, like, couldn't really make things realistic, but definitely could make some, like, chunky shit. Yeah. Or, no, like, has, like, Adobe Illustrator. It's, like, an Adobe Illustrator portrait. It is kind of illustratory. Yeah, you're right. But it's oil paint. That's fucking oil paint? Yeah. There is no every, reason. Every image that I have shown you in here, other than the picture of him, is oil paint. I hate that for him. <laughs> That is so much paint. I know. For no like, reason. What are you doing, dog? Oil paint is literally fucking meant to be blended. Like, <laughs> that is the point of it. So anyways, this uh, portrait of this guy, he's got, like, these big horn rim glasses on. 
And then he's got, like, his hand halfway over his mouth. And he's got long hair and a big beard, like, Amish style. And terribly shaded hands. <laughs> Bad shading, yes. Like, even the tone of the color of his hand is just off by, like, yeah. one Like, one. The degree. knuckles especially. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, tonally, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. So, it's like, it's very close to having some substance to it. And then he goes back to making it flat. It's just... Yeah, like, the glasses, the glasses have, like, sheen on them, which right. would make it seem like it's rounded, like there's dimension, yeah. and then, like, his hand is just like, womp. It looks, yeah, it's very flat. So, um, I tried to find that, but I couldn't, and so it's probably either at my mom's or in the garbage, because, uh... <laughs> <in> garbage? <laughs> hashtag triggered by college. <laughs> Same, though. Yeah. All my oil paintings, <laughs> gone dead in the trash well mine was just like a colored pencil sketch in my sketchbook like i vividly remember it because i was just like i have to draw something by an artist let me find an artist and he was this guy yeah some obscure fucking shit yeah it was a cute little sketch too i liked it better than the original (laughs) anything is better than the original so I liked it better than the original too. Oh, I know you that didn't for even a fact. See it. That's so sweet of you. Well, I know it's better than that. So. Thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. Oh, <laughs> Don't boy. you love when I roast your fucking I do. artists? Yes, I always pick the good ones. For honestly, me. I I love when you roast things. Oh, God. People in general. Ay ay ay. According to Alex Katz's website. In the 1970s, his work focused on portraying the social world of painters, poets, critics, and other colleagues that he surrounded himself with. So that's the New York School of Poets and shit. Then in the 90s... They only liked him because he was just as obnoxious as they were. Uh, I stand by Yeah, that. kind of. Poets, okay, poets either have a god complex or, like, imposter syndrome or both. <clears throat> My roommate. I was going to be like... <laughs> So Bunny. <laughs> yes. Bunny the poet that you live with. Bunny the poet that I live with. She probably won't listen to this, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, I'm going to send it to her. <laughs> listen to this part where we roast you. <laughs> She'd probably be like, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. She knows it. Yeah. She knows she has impressions. Anybody who has ever room. hung out with poets, though, yeah. you can't deny that that it's like the way it goes. Yeah. Especially like, male poets. Oh. <gasps> I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> Your cat came to see what you were throwing up about. She likes that noise. She's like, what? Who's throwing up? Me? She was hanging out with me, me like when I had food poisoning over the weekend. She was like, oh, shit. She was like, mom, what the fuck? And I'm like, get the fuck away from me because I don't want to throw up on your head. Oh, Is that why there were kitty paw prints all over the toilet? Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, I haven't cleaned that yet. But it's they okay. were like, I, I wipe I the seat down. Well, I took a bath because, like, you know, like yeah. you do when yeah, you're yeah, sick. Yeah. And so I took a bath and then, like, I had some smelly, you know, bath mm-hmm. thing in it. Yeah. And then, like, as soon as I was in the bath, I was like, well, I'm going to throw up again. So I, like, got out of the bath real quick and then, like, threw up. And they were like, whoa, what was that? You got out of the water? Like, what we took it? And I was like, there was water and, like, oh, the no. blue stuff from the fucking bath bomb everywhere. And then oh, they God. were like, oh, bath bomb, toilet. Yay! And that's how that happened. Alright, I'm almost done. In the late 80s and 1990s, Katz focused most of his attention on large landscape paintings, which he characterized as environmental. 
Rather than observing a scene from afar, the viewer feels enveloped by nearby nature. Because he's doing the same thing here, where he's painting up a little close. You know, like that's up close. That one's up close. I'm showing these to the slides I've already shown her. <laughs> I, I love them. I was going to put a flower picture in here, but then we closed at work. So I was like, oh, I gotta go. He started these canvases with the idea of a landscape. And then used a more like painterly, loose kind of application. So it's a little bit more flowy than some of his other stuff where it's like really flat. It's a little bit less flat. So this led him to painting night scenes, light falling through branches, and flowers. So now he just kind of does whatever he wants because he's old. And he can. And he still gets paid for it. And he's 95 still painting. 95 and still painting, yes. I will give him credit for that. I will say that that's like, that's pretty... Yeah, like pretty awesome he did in the one article that i was reading he was working on like this big night scene that's like a 10 foot by 10 foot fucking piece or something wow and just doing all that at 95 yeah just doing it up it's because his paintings are only like (laughs) three colors so (laughs) (laughs) sorry last one from me (laughs) no that was a good one anyway i wanted to do for you today Tony Titro, who is a world-renowned scam artist. Ooh, yeah. I know you love the scams. Yes. Give me them scammers. And you like scammers. And um, he has a career that spans nearly 40 years, and he's also known to have scammed the now King Charles III. Whoa. So speaking yes. of the fucking monarchy. Yes. Fuck the monarchy. <laughs> fuck the monarchy. This is a story about how Charles was fucking embarrassed oh by this God. man. Scam the fucking monarchy. Yes, bitch. Go yes. off, Tony. Yes. Well, we're going to talk about Tony Titro first, and then we'll go into, like, yeah, his, the that. scandal. But So he's born Anthony Jean Titro in 1950, born in the sticks of New York. So New York State oh guy, God. just like your guy. One of four children. Young age, he was known to be a jokester. He was always getting in trouble. He also got married really young, which I thought was interesting. So he was married at 16. Oh, my God. And had his first kid by 17. Damn, bitch. Go yeah. off. So at 19, he moved to Southern California. And then he started working as a furniture salesman. And unsurprisingly, his fucking wife divorced him not too mm. long after that. So uh, he never underwent formal art training, which is kind of, like, amazing. Like, when you consider all of his, accomplish- his accomplishments. But Good for him. Uh, so he spent time visiting museums and studying art books, and he knew he liked to paint, but he never felt the urge to develop a certain style. So, mm-hmm. like, literally the opposite of your guy. Like, he yeah. had no voice whatsoever. He, like, didn't care. He was just like, yeah, I'm good at copying shit, so I'm going to keep doing that. Oh, um, did he become a forger? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's his like, whole thing. Mm. So he only liked copying the Great Masters, and then he found out he had, like, a particular talent for it. So then he learned to reproduce caracular... Cooler, which is the dense cracking of the paint on the oh. aged canvases, making the works appear old. So he started doing that to all of his paintings. Carcular. And then he was going around and he learned to reproduce photographs and painted portraits as well. And once he figured out how to do it, he was like, I'm going to capitalize on this shit. So he started going to markets and nice. fairs. And he also started going to well-known art dealers and galleries and being like, hey, I inherited these from my grandfather. What would you take for them? And seeing what the yeah. art dealers were, mm-hmm. what they would consider to be, like, worth, mm-hmm. you know, the money. And as he got better and better, that's when he started to, like, first sell his works, like, into the actual market. 
Sometimes the art dealers would mistake his works for great artworks and like, whoopsie, he would get paid like, you know, shit tons of money for it. Heck of bucks. In the 1980s, like, this type of art was in high demand. So, like, a lot of the time he was actually selling his artwork as recreations Mm because, like, that's what people wanted. There wasn't the internet. So, like, a lot of people couldn't just, like, readily go online and look up to see if an artwork was, like, a certain thing or not or where it was last sold. So, they'd have to, like, go to the library to figure that shit out. So, a lot of, like, rich people would just get a really well-known artist or really good artist to recreate a painting that looked somewhat like a famous painting and be like, yeah, I have a famous painting. Yeah. Because it, it gave them like something to talk about at fucking dinner. Right. And that kind of art was, is, was in full swing in Los Angeles. Cause there was a lot of new money. New money. Yeah. So he started copying, uh, Rembrandt, Jean, Jean Moreau, Mark said Chagall, Salvador Dali and Norman Rockwell. Obviously, all yeah, really famous wow. people. That's honestly very, like, varied as far as styles go. He could do everything. He yeah. did portraits. Wow. He did literally everything. He even remade a fucking famous Ferrari, like, from scratch. Made, a, like, an exact fucking copy of a goddamn car. Like, he refabricated a fucking car. That's impressive. Yeah. He didn't do it himself, obviously, but, like, yeah. he was overseeing all the details. Right. Now, copying paintings isn't automatically fraud, so just, like, right. you know. In some circles, actually, like, when you do a recreation of a painting, you do a, a master copy. Yeah. Like, that can actually show how skilled you are at doing certain techniques. Where it steps over the line is when artworks are mistaken for the real thing, and then they're sold into the art market via, you know... Yeah, as the actual... Right, as the actual piece. They're represented as the actual piece. And in some countries, the laws around this are blurry, and they focus mainly on the intent behind the forger. So if you were just, like, dicking around in art school creating master copies, you left them there. Somebody picked them up and was like, oh, my fucking God, mind blown. And, like, accidentally sold them as Mm -hmm. a real thing. That's different. If you were sitting there working your entire life to create copies of things to make them as realistic as possible, adding patina to them and adding, like things to make them look old, Mm -hmm. you're a fucking forger. (laughs) Like, that is what you are. Um, And so he always marketed himself as Tony Titro Art Reproductions. Uh And he just kind of left it. He said he left it up to the art dealers to who would receive the paintings. But, of course, that's not how that was working at all. (laughs) So it can only be proven if there is evidence that the artworks were forged specifically to fool the public into believing they were real deal. And Tony liked to live very large. She owned a tri-level condominium, a Rolls-Royce Silver Spirit, two Ferraris, a Lamborghini. He flew, he flew to Europe frequently and was an avid gambler. And without a visible source of income, the police were already like, you're a suspect. Like, Sus. all of his neighbors were like, we don't know what the fuck that guy does. And he, he was basically pegged as being a drug dealer. Right, because this is pre-internet. Right, they couldn't figure out that he was like an artist or whatever. Yeah. So in 1989, Tony was arrested after Hiro Yamagata discovered a forgery of his work for sale in Beverly Hills, and then the trail led back to Tony. Mm. Yeah. After the art dealer gave him up. So the art dealer was like, oh no, it wasn't me, it was this guy. And <laughs> he like, lied to me. He only got probation, and then like Tony got... <laughs> Got the, got the book thrown at him. So during a search of his home, they uncovered 250 copies of works, and he was accused of conspiring with Mark Henry Sawicki, who was an art dealer, to defraud other art dealers 
by selling them forgeries. Nice. So he wasn't even the go-between. He was like, I'm not going to tie my name to it. You're going to sell this for me. Amazing. That was like two levels of middleman. So at the start of his 1989 trial, Tony was charged with 44 counts of felony forgery and one count of conspiracy. And the mounting cost of his defense eventually made him like broke as fuck. Yeah. So he was paying his attorney in cash. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like literally until he had no more money. Um, so they, he filed for a public def- defender, got a public defender. He maintained as his defense to the trial that he never touted himself as any more than an, an emulator of the masterworks. Mm-hmm. And he never intended to sell them as originals. He pointed the finger to the art dealers and said that he was commissioned for his works and not responsible for their sale in the market. Mm-hmm. So like the art dealers were coming to him and being like, can you make me Rembrandt? Can you make me this? Can you make me that? And he was like more than happy to do it. Like, oh, I play dumb. He's like, I guess. And like, I guess. Why not? So despite that, his first trial ended in a mistrial with the jurors deadlocked after 17 hours Ugh. of deliberating. That's a long fucking time. Oh, I'd be like, lock him up. Yeah. And the DA couldn't let the case go because obviously they knew he was just going to go back to fucking doing it. So they decided to retry the case in 1993. And with no more funds to fight the courts, he pleaded no contest to a reduced six counts of forgery, one count of conspiracy, and one count of attempted theft. He was given oh. 200 hours of community service, which included painting a mural in a public building. Oh. They still wanted him to be talented. Okay. Yeah, like they were yeah, like, yeah. we're going to make... They're like, no, 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 we're going to take your talent and make you wish you didn't have it. Right. And he was also (laughs) sentenced to a work release program for five fucking years where he was asked to paint prototypes for traffic safety murals. Oh. Literally what? What? Yeah. (laughs) For traffic safety murals. Okay, different. Uh, Between his trials, Tony was featured in a BBC documentary and an episode of Nova called The Fine Art of Faking It. He was re- revealed in interviews during the same time period to have knowingly created fakes for the mm. sake of money and fame. So, like, yeah. Knowingly. Yeah, he fucking knew. Like, he's done a bunch of interviews since then, and he was just like, yeah, I knew. Yeah, I lied. Um, he switched to forgery. He said he switched to forgery after reading a book called Fake! Exclamation point. It was based on the life of Elmer DeHory, an, an art forger who fooled galleries and collectors worldwide and was featured on the cover of Time as Con Man of the Year. He's like, <laughs> I could do this, teacher remembered thinking as he read the book. And I did. Nice. So he was a fucking forger and he knew it. We love that. But reformed after his arrest, he seems to have led a quieter life, taking only private commissions for copies. He is now required by court order to sign all of his works. Mm, so like, there's yeah. no mistaking that mm-hmm. he did it. So his name was brought up in the now infamous Dumfries House scandal where four paintings were lent to the charity of Prince Charles by James Stunt, the former son-in-law of Formula One billionaire Bernie Ecclestone and Gold Tycoon. So here's how it went. So Tony met Stunt in 2014 and they became good friends. And James Stunt is known to be like a fucking eccentric guy. He's like a very wealthy man in London. And they formed a friendship over Ferraris. Mm-hmm. Like, Stunt has a lot of fancy cars, and that's how Tony met him. And so, uh, over their friendship, he commissioned ten paintings from him, including a Picasso, a Dali, a Monet, and a Chagall. Do you think he ever calls him Stuntman? I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think they're friends anymore. 
<laughs> Do you think he ever did? <laughs> Maybe he did. Let's call Tony and ask him. <laughs> Tony! He seems like he's chill. I mean, like, he seems like he's a little... A like, stuntman. He seems like he's just, oh, like, a going. funny, like, like New York guy. <laughs> um, so, when he made them, Tony made sure he signed them. He was like... Yeah. He added a signature to each of them. Now, is his signature obvious? No. Um, it's not. Uh, Stunt was reportedly said, said to him, I want them to look real. And Tietro said, I knew exactly what he meant. He wanted them for decoration to impress his friends. Oh, 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 oh. of course. He yes. wanted them, yes. Tony, for a decoration to impress yes. his friends. Yeah, All that's my friends would be impressed by my yeah. Rembrandt. Wink, wink. Yeah. So in February 2017, a collection of 17 paintings arrived at Clarence House, which is the prince's private residence, where Malcolm Rogers, who's the former curator of the National Portrait Gallery in London and retired director of the Boston Museum of Fine Arts reviewed them with the prince. Mm. So they went over them. They looked through them. There are a couple paintings he really loved. And Malcolm Rogers was not suspicious in the slightest of the owner of the collection, James Stunt. Right. Son of billionaire. Son-in-law of oh. billionaire. He had a reputation for owning lavish items. He was known for his fleet of luxury sports vehicles, for driving around London in a personal motorcade, ordering 200k worth of crystal champagne in a single night. He was also an art lover and had convinced Malcolm that he wanted to amass a collection for his daughter and to lend some of his paintings to support Prince Charles. Of course. So since he met the guy, Malcolm Rogers, he was like, I want to... I want to help out Prince Charles. I want to be a helpful guy. I'm just a good citizen, that's all. So when the collection arrives, Charles is thrilled to put them on display, and he decides to house them at Dumfries House, which is a mansion in Scotland that sits on 2,000 acres of land, mm. um, and, is head and is headquarters to his charity, the Prince's Foundation. This house cost $20 million of the Prince's own money, and then $45 million in additional donations to restore. It, everything in the house is meant for restoration purposes. It's literally like a yeah. time capsule to fine antiques. So basically anything in the house is like worth thousands of dollars. It's kind of staggering to me. I know. It's for charity, though. It's for charity. It's for charity. Oh, my God. Yeah. And when he receives... children. Think of the channel train. Oh, it could be a Tampax. Got it. Could come back as a Tampax. Heaven forbid. I can't. That like audio has been circulating on TikTok. And I just can't. The prince is uh, basically what happened is he's he's like, I'm these are gonna go to Dumfries' house. These are awesome. Fuck yeah, go James. And he sent a, a letter to him expressing his gratitude. He was like, it was with great sadness that you were unable to come to Clarence's house the other day when Malcolm Rogers appeared with your marvelous pictures, uh, especially the two Van Dykes. And he added that the paintings provide us with a much needed security as an asset for the charity if things ever get tough. Oh, God. They could always auction off. Or... These fakes. <laughs> yeah. So the Prince's Foundation insured the paintings using... James Stunt's own estimate of their worth. So $217 million was the figure they came up with. Okay. Literally. And citing, and then so this was already done. James Stunt gives him the paintings. He's like, there you go. And then a few years later, 
Citing that they were in Dumfries house, which of course is this big uh-huh. like restoration project, he was like, "Can I get a loan against these paintings that are insured for two hundred and seventeen million dollars?" So a number that he came up with the long con, the oh long fucking God. con, and he did this because of course he's not actually a billionaire. He's mm-hmm. not actually made of money. He's broke as fuck, and he owed Christie's, which is like like yeah. famous auction house. $2 million. Oh so he was going to use some of the money to pay off fucking Christie's, <laughs> which he's probably... Yeah, so it's just crazy. Four of the 17 artworks were revealed to be works by Tony Tietro and his scam fell apart and the scandal hit the news in November 2019. So afterwards, the paintings were swiftly taken down mm, and reports swiftly. were that the queen was highly upset by the scandal. Oh! She was highly upset. upset. Yeah. <laughs> In the months after James Stunt fell into ruin, his accounts were frozen, the household of servants he had were let go, and his fleet of luxury cars were locked up or impounded. In an article by Mark Seal for Vanity Fair, he paid a visit to the secluded former billionaire, and this shit is fucking wild. If you ever get a chance, like, read this fucking article, because, like, the shit that James Stunt says in the aftermath of, like, everything that happened, like, you can tell this guy was just fucking unhinged. <laughs> like, he's just, he's, like, kind of like a Trump guy. Like, he's just, like, oh, a giant, I like, big it. baby who, like, thought he was going to get his way, and when he didn't, he's like, wow, everyone was against me from the start. Like, Wait, I was lied to. So, like, Mark Seal is a famous journalist, by the way. Yeah. And he shows up, Stunt is, like, chain-smoking, and... <laughs> He was just launching into these great big rants about how everyone was against him and how he had all these enemies. So number one was his fucking father-in-law. So Ooh. after he like divorced his his wife Petra, yeah. then like he had uh, Viscount Rothamir, who is in charge of the Daily, to like launch this story about him. That's what he thinks. Okay. He gets up and goes to the bathroom multiple times. And each back, he comes back and starts ranting again. And so at one point. Uh, Mark Seal like asks him if he's doing cocaine because he like brought up right. a story about cocaine. That would be my first. And thought. he's like, "No, absolutely not!" And like denies it, and then starts saying that it's just his ADHD and that coke actually makes him calm. But he's not doing it anymore. But of course, like That's you're going to the bathroom, going to the bathroom to get a bump, right? And then so this was like a quote from the article. Um, he's like, "You're looking at me like I'm crazy." He's like, "Listen, I'm one of the most sane people I know. My IQ is 18 above Einstein's." I have to keep talking like a conspiracy nutter because they have engineered this perfectly. <laughs> he loaned the paintings to Prince Charles anonymously, he points out. So how could the supposed forger, Tony Tetro, even know that they were at Dumfries' house? Unless he was told by Bernie Ecclestone, which is his former father-in-law, what? or Viscount Rothamer. <laughs> okay. How, how about it has his fucking signature on them? <laughs> Duh. Like, how about he knows that he, like, had four fucking paintings that you mysteriously then were able to give to <laughs> Prince Charles. Magic. Like, I mean, it, she, I, just, I can't. So, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the story of Tony Tetro and how he uh, basically duped Prince Charles. Amazing. Yeah. There's, like, rumors it. that Prince Charles, like, was like, well, look at these paintings, and was, like, all excited about them, like, talking about them, and they turn out to be fucking fake. Unsurprising. To yeah. be honest. And I found out through this story that, like, Prince Charles himself is an actual artist. Is which, he? Oh, yeah. Is like, he a bad artist like George W. Bush? 
Yeah, no, he sucks. He's like an amateur, and but people love his shit and like buy it because it's fucking Prince Charles. Like his like work hangs in like galleries and shit. Honestly, it's disgusting. I know the nepotism. I can't delete it. Throw it away. Yeah, like okay, you don't like the monarchy. That's fine. I respected the fuck out of Queen Elizabeth. Did you just thinking about how insane? her life was the idea of her is like what i find kind of incredible like and actually she pulled the job off pretty fucking good for somebody like she had really no like major scandals besides like you could say she's to blame for cultural problems that existed well before her like i mean she inherited the empire as it was she didn't make any moves to dissolve it or make any like preparations to the people she had conquered or family had conquered but you, you could argue, like, ethically, does she need to? She's an entire new person. You know, she inherited this position. It's questionable. I'm just not a fan of the idea of, like, royal blood. And, oh, no, like, me neither. the fucking colonizer mentality and, like, all that shit. No, they definitely don't. And, like, but I think it's incredible when we look at it from the structural perspective of, like, she was, she is, like, a hangover from the days when kings and queens were it that is what you get and i think we're still very attached to that fantasy like fantasy idea of like just getting all this power for like almost nothing for almost doing nothing yeah and then all these people are gonna follow follow you and bow to you and like you know it's just on you to control it like after that you know so i think that's it's crazy to see someone who lived it in the modern day for 70 fucking years and she actually did a pretty decent job like i mean nothing like she didn't dissolve the monarchy like it didn't fall apart under her like you know it, it turned into what it was always going to turn into which is more of just like a mm. iconic role it doesn't have any like real power anymore but it's still crazy like to think cuckoo bananas yeah thank you guys for joining us once again yes thank you hope you enjoyed the sultry sounds of our voices yes Thank you. <laughs> Join us next time for more hot takes. Hot takes with Lisa and Jocelyn. <laughs> mm, bye. Give <Okay>, my tampons. <laughs>